0: Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your co hosts are Clint Walkner and Nate Condon, the co owners and financial advisors at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a podcast series dedicated to illuminate some of the darkness around fees, conflicts of interest, and the motivation behind recommendations in the financial planning industry. Here are your hosts. That's
1: the masses of silence. We'd like to welcome everybody to our oh, uh, first podcast God. ever for uh, Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, called "Give Me Some Truth." Clint is here, Nate is here, Kevin is here. We are uh, looking to peel back the onion on the industry, whether it be conflicts of interest, whether it be compensation, whether it be uh, how products work. Uh, so, first of all, thank you for listening. Uh, this podcast is really going to be centered around how advisors are employed and the different kind of categories of advisors. Uh, we have five different categories we're going to talk about today uh, and really going to focus our energies on where the conflict of interest lies within these different categories. You're saying that there are conflicts of interest in our industry. I'm saying there's a lot of conflicts of interest in our in our industry.
2: Yeah, not to convoluted, but we have, uh, you know, IARs that work inside of RIAs, we have independent broker dealers, we have insurance agency advisors, captive advisors, quasi-captive advisors, warehouses, etc.
1: Kevin, how much of that t- made sense? Uh, I'm going to go with absolutely none of it. So it's
2: <laughs> good. That's good. It's <laughs> a good place to start. Yeah. So let's start first with the uh, one of the more simple ones, which is the insurance agency advisor. So examples, of this might be like Mass Mutual, Northwestern Mutual, Life, and we'll say this with the caveat that when we mention companies, we're not saying that any company is good or bad. Uh, we're just saying that they are a company that is in these certain categories, and we're not, uh, you know, we're not bashing anybody right now.
1: Which is true, but we are going to be speak honestly about how companies work and the fact that you know some of these companies are uh, beholden to both the client as well as the shareholder at the same time. Uh, that that's a difficult needle to thread. Uh, so we are going to be honest about it, and so our focus is uh, to to really kind of shine a light on how the uh, the industry works. So this first example, um, insurance agency advisors. Um, Clint what's the kind of the main conflict of interest in our opinion uh, within that
2: category it's more of the uh, proprietary product nature that they have inside of those companies so you know for example if you go buy a whole life policy through one of those companies it's likely to be branded by the name of the company uh, that you're going to be approached with so you know for example you know it might be a Northwestern Mutual Life whole life, and they may not have a whole bunch of other whole life products at their disposal that they may be able to sell you. So there is a proprietary bias there and a company bias there, and lo and behold, it's really difficult to find out how much compensation the insurance advisor is going to be paid on that, and it doesn't necessarily show up on a statement. It's not like a, an invoice that you receive at the end of each month as, as you might in a more traditional advisory relationship. Yeah, the, uh, the fees that exist within
1: these policies, um, or or the relationship as a whole, um, and not just fees in terms of what you pay, um, as, as the investor in the product, but also the compensation that's being paid to the advisor through the client purchasing the product, uh, is, is similar to, uh, when we refinance our mortgages, in most cases we pay the closing costs out of pocket. We know exactly what they are, they're itemized, simple to see, um, Although there are times when we can, quote, roll the closing costs into our mortgage. okay, Did that make the mortgage refinance process free? No. It means that we just found out that we are paying for those, stretching those over 30 years and then paying interest on top of the fees. So it looked to be a good deal in the beginning, ended up not being uh, a good deal or maybe what's in our best interest uh, when we peeled back the onion a little bit. Because free is always free, right? Because free is free except when you're paying for it.
2: Over 30 years. Over 30 years. Maybe that's interest. a future blog post. We'll have to discuss that a little bit. Uh, I think the, the issue too with somebody that goes back and forth on proprietary and non-proprietary products is that sometimes they're going to sell you a proprietary product, and other times then they'll say, oh, I'm independent because I'm selling you a variety of different mutual fund companies on this fee-based account over here on, on the right. So they wear two different types of hats. They wear a suitability standard for part of the time and a fiduciary standard for the other part of the time. And that's not just an insurance agency advisor problem. It's a a problem through uh, a number of different companies and ways that these companies do business. And let's
1: let's just uh, spend a couple minutes just talking about that. So the industry really is focused on two standards of care, one being suitability standard of care. Advisors that adhere to that standard of care simply mean that their recommendations need to be suitable not necessarily in the client's best interest. The fiduciary standard of care says that the advisor has to do what's in the client's best interest at all times. And so the fiduciary standard of care really aims to try to eliminate as many conflicts of interest as possible within the relationship because if that advisor is audited, the auditor is going to be able to use the simple rule of thumb of was the recommendation in the client's best interest or was it in the advisor's best interest? And uh, it, it's a much um, more onerous um, standard of care to adhere to.
2: Yeah. So if we go back to the example, uh, one of my first jobs that I ever had was selling shoes. So let's do a shoe example. I was a really good shoe salesman, by the way. I was really you're, good? Uh, yes. How is that measured? How is a how uh, what?
1: With what matrices <laughs> do they use to <laughs> determine a very good shoe salesman?
2: Uh, I, I made a lot of sales, you know, and you got extra incentives for recommending certain types of shoes, right? Much like our industry, uh, I wow. got to recommend certain types of shoes. this yeah. one Nike shoe? You got an extra buck if you sold it, or you sold this Stride Right shoe and things like that. So, yeah. The,
1: the, what about it. the shoe cleaners and the balms and, and the different? Things that are up by the cash
2: register—it's just a—it's a bunch of nothing, right? I mean, we are well compensated for those. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Did you have warranties on the shoes as well? Yeah, you know, everybody needs a shoe spray.
0: So You're really good. peeling back the onion on shoe sales as opposed to the financial industry. Uh, just today for a minute or two. Into. That's right. Just yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Make sure that you—you uh, you don't have to buy the waterproofing. You really don't. You really right. Don't. And any shoe cleaner never works. It just mushes in all the dirt into the shoe. So. And never wash your shoes, by the way. Don't don't ever put them into the uh, washing machine. Really? Yeah, you'll wreck them. Totally. totally. Really? Right. It's done. Bonus tips. Bonus so tips. So back to... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's so
1: job is really to keep us on track yeah. as much as possible. That's very true. It's like very herding true. cats. He's
2: like, a, yeah, yeah. So if we go back to, actually, let's do a shoe example, though. Uh, um, suitability versus fiduciary standard of care. So suitability canad- standard of care would be uh, I walk into a shoe store, and I want to go hiking, and uh, you know somebody decides that they want to just put me in a running shoe because I can hike in a running shoe right so that's that's suitable but is that really in my best interest so if we had the fiduciary standard of care if I walked into the shoe store uh, you would have to put me in a hiking boot or if you did put me in a running shoe you'd have to give a really good reason as to why and justify why that running shoe was going to be the right fit for that hike that you made so Uh, It's the higher standard of care, and furthermore, it's a standard of care that has to be applied over a longer period of time. So suitability just has to be at time of purchase, and there's no ongoing suitability standard of care. Fiduciary standard of care never really stops. We always have to do what's in our client's best interest at all times. So moving on to other types of companies, Um, captive companies. Uh, So we would call these a, a different step from the insurance agency, commonly these investment advisors that work with these groups are a little bit more of an investment-first focus versus an insurance-first focus. Uh, examples of these might be Edward Jones, uh, some advisors over at Ameriprise, and uh, they have some conflicts of interest as well, don't they?
1: Well, their main conflict of interest in, in, as, as far as how we see things is, um, you know, they are beholden to the, the, the kind of overarching company. So if you are an Edward Jones advisor, you are um, you know, adhering to the, the protocol, if you will, of Edward Jones. If you're an Ameriprise advisor in this, um, in this example, not every Ameriprise advisor is a, is a captive, but a lot of them are. Uh, you are adhering to the guidelines, the principles of that company. Um, and so the, the client that walks through the door may or may not fit within that protocol Uh, So then it becomes a a question of, does the advisor try to massage the uh, relationship into that protocol, Uh, which uh, obviously is is not necessarily in the client's best interest.
2: Yeah, and they're generally more captive. If you want to leave one of those organizations, oftentimes you have some pretty significant covenants of employment. So you have non-solicit and or non-competes that you've signed with them. And it's not as simple as hey, I'm just going to leave and open my own shop, and I'm going to take all my clients with me. Uh, There's significant legal proceedings if they step on some landmines. So uh, definitely they are uh, employees of those organizations in many cases, and they have little chance to move.
1: Which is one of the reasons why we see a decent amount of turnover within that segment of of the industry. Um, Third category, independent broker-dealers.
2: Yeah, and we used to work for an independent broker-dealer in a couple of different fashions. If um, anybody remembers us in our prior life when we worked for a local credit union, we worked under a couple different independent broker-dealers, one of them being Financial Network, which is now Cetera, and another one being Securities America. And uh, there are some other bigger players, too, there. LPL, Cambridge, locally we have CUNA, and they have a conflict of interest really in that uh, most of these companies have approved product lists and in some cases they have preferred providers so if we kind of follow the money from the standpoint of these independent broker dealers uh, they don't do this all out of the goodness of their heart they make money too they're for-profit companies and therefore they need to generate revenue and they generate revenue through trades and they generate revenue from these product lists so if i'm xyz mutual fund company and i decide that i really want to be sold at you know satara Um, oftentimes I'll pay a fee to get on their platform and if I become a preferred provider in that I'm kind of put more in front of the advisors uh, I have to pay a much 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 larger check and the hard part about it is that when the
1: advisor of one of these firms uh, is positioning that um, product or investment in front of a client they're not saying I'm putting this product in front of you because this company is on our preferred list and they got on our preferred list because they paid a huge amount of money to the parent company. They're simply saying, this investment is best for you. And so the the difficulty in following the money as Clint uh, uh, aptly coined it, uh, and I think that that's a hugely uh, um, uh, important um, process within our industry is following the money because it really leads you to the truth. trying to understand the investment companies and how much they've paid an independent broker-dealer is literally impossible. Uh, And so for the end client um, who should be the most important component within this equation, uh, they have a very difficult time understanding who paid who for what and why did that investment ultimately end up in the end client's portfolio.
2: Yeah, one of the things I do like about independent broker-dealers is that we definitely have a situation where they don't have their own proprietary funds, so you don't see Soterra offering Soterra mutual funds, and I think that's important. I think it l- helps limit the conflicts of interest there. Uh, one of the things, too, that to mention is that you normally don't see the independent broker dealer's name right next to the advisor's name. So you usually see a brand name or a doing business as name, so we're XYZ. Uh, financial advisors here in Madison, Wisconsin. And if you look underneath and kind of peel back the onion, you can take a look and find out what companies behind these. So oftentimes, you know, LPL might be the company that's behind this advisor, but they're never presenting themselves as LPL financial advisors. And where that may, you may want to be a little careful, is that you may think that your bank or credit union kind of is the investment services department, and it really isn't the case Uh, You have to be a little careful in assuming that these advisors are affiliated with a larger institution.
1: Yeah, it's it's a a very deft way of marketing uh, something to kind of give an impression that, um, you know, it is one thing when actually it's a different thing. And so if we look at a lot of our bank and credit unions uh, that offer investment services, the vast, vast majority of them are not offering those through their own platform, through their own Kind of organization, they have a company that they have a relationship with that is actually providing that, uh, that service. It doesn't make it bad. It just is more of understanding who you're actually working with. Are you working with the bank or credit union or are you actually working with the investment company that is providing the platform for their uh, uh, investment services program?
2: So. And most of them uh, with the independent broker dealers offer both commission and advisory planning. The advantage of where the industry is going in the Department of Labor ruling is that it's kind of forcing some of these institutions to go more uh, in advisory planning or fiduciary style planning. So it's one of the positive things that's happening in the industry. Um, I know I wouldn't wanna be an independent broker dealer right now because uh, compliance costs are very high right now and their margins are getting squeezed significantly. You're seeing a ton of consolidation in the industry. So if you do any research on these companies, The larger companies are getting larger, and the smaller companies are rolling up to the larger companies are going out of business. So it's a difficult industry to be in, and we're likely to see that consolidation persist. Uh, The advantage of the advisors that are working for these companies is that they are independent. The disadvantage is that these platforms that are developed by these broker-dealers are uh, offer a little less choice in that there are platform fees. It may be designed specifically and the advisor may not be able to deviate from certain advisor platforms. So uh, you know, from that perspective, they have a little less choice with them. And because of these extra compliance costs and the fact that a lot of upfront compensation is being taken away from these broker-dealers, they're gonna have to raise revenue somehow and that usually means that they're gonna pass through more costs to the advisors and advisors tend to pass costs onto their clients. So it may get a little more expensive for them in the future.
1: Yeah, again, follow the money. Um, and, and asking detailed questions of your advisor uh, about these topics is is not only something that is um, a good idea for, for the uh, end investor, it is uh, kind of your only way of guarding against making sure that you're not putting yourself in a bad position. So asking very detailed questions about how fee structures work, every fee that's possibly involved and how um, your money is being managed is, is a really uh, um, smart thing to do before. In most cases, you want to be before you enter the relationship, but if you're already in the relationship, even asking now uh, is going to only provide you more information in terms of how your uh, money's being managed. So the fourth category we're going to talk about is uh, what we call in the industry wirehouses.
2: Yeah, examples of this would be Baird, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, UBS. Um, These are all, a lot of them, uh, kind of legacy companies that have these big names. Oftentimes the investment advisors that work for them definitely play up the standpoint that they have large research facilities, and a lot of them do. Uh, They underwrite a lot of stocks as well, which does present its own conflict of interest, because if if I'm Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch and I do an IPO for Snapchat, as example, you know, I'm probably incented in some way or some department is incented to push those shares onto our clients. So there's a little conflict of interest there. It exists, a, you know, I would say slightly less than it did in the past because uh, more products are moving towards that fee base, that advisory situation, so uh, if they're recommending Snapchat as an investment, it's gotta be really in the client's best interest in order to be placed in, in that. I think the biggest conflict of interest that we face with those sorts of companies is that they have shareholders and they have clients at the same time. So there you're supposed to be fiduciaries for both sets, and so therefore if the CEO wants to raise fees and look really, really good in that quarter and they wanna get their big bonus, Then that might be in direct conflict with the advisors that are trying to do the right thing for their clients and to, you know, generate, uh, you know, use the fiduciary standard, generate maximum rates of return. And so those two things working in contrast with one another is a bit of an issue.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, again, not something like a broken record here, but it is a follow the money. Uh, And when you have um, two more or less competing interests uh, with shareholders and, uh, investors, it becomes very, very difficult to to claim that you are doing what's in both groups' best interest when those best interests uh, lie at uh, different ends of the spectrum. So uh, the final group that we're going to talk about today are independent registered investment advisors. Uh, this is the space with which Clint and I work and, and our company resides. Um, Clint, what are a few of the characteristics of the people that operate in the space?
2: Well, I would say... We have a little bit more limited conflicts of interest than the others. Uh, you know, We have a situation where we have to find a custodian or custodians to have our clients reside in most cases. We don't have to use a custodian, but the vast majority of independent registered investment advisors do use custodians. For us, it's TD Ameritrade. Uh, our conflict of interest is that you know when we select a custodian, they may pay for something. Uh, they may give us discounts on software. They may pay for a piece of software they may um, you know provide us discounts on trade something like that but basically those custodians are set up to be our Costco uh we walk into there uh, a ton of different mutual fund companies sign agreements with them to get on their platform they do pay some money just like the independent broker dealers things like that they may pay some money to get on the platform TD Ameritrade receives this but we never receive any of those uh fees at all so basically we have to pull something off the shelf, and they offer the items on the shelves for us. Uh, the other limited conflict of interest that we see in our industry is that we can have a registered investment advisor firm. So for us, that's Walkner of Financial Advisors. But we also have a, an insurance company, WC Insurance Services, and really when we sell term insurance or long-term care insurance or something like that, those commissions can flow through that entity. So we have an inherent conflict of interest inside of our firm in that we could incent ourselves to go out and sell more of that insurance because it ma- pays us more upfront compensation. That's also why we uh, have to call ourselves fee-based versus fee-only. So it depends on how your firm's all set up. Some firms have made a uh, active decision that they want to be fee-only and others have decided they want to be fee-based, but that conflict of interest has to be disclosed to all of the clients through our disclosure documents.
1: This category of, of the five that we've talked about today is, is by far the fastest growing, um, and it, it really is, in our opinion, where the overall industry is is moving toward. Um, Department of Labor ruling that has come down uh, and, the, and the guidance that uh, has come from different uh, entities within the federal government uh, has, has made it very clear in which direction they want to see the industry moving as well. Um, fiduciary standard is better than suitability standard. It just is um, because it holds the advisor to a higher standard. It protects the client better, and it makes it so that uh, your interest is served before the advisors, which is how most people assume the industry works. And unfortunately, the vast majority of the industry doesn't work that way, but it's moving more that direction, and it, it's, it's, it's really good to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, Europe actually has a you know kind of universal fiduciary standard over there, and we just don't. And I think it's because of a lot of lobbying dollars and, um, you know, a situation where if if you think about it in an odd way, you say that there are these big institutions that are fighting their own clients, basically saying that we don't want to provide you advice that's in your best interest. It's just, it's appalling and it's confusing at the same time.
1: Yeah, there's a reason why they, uh, you, you don't see a lot of advertisements from these other companies talking about fiduciary standard because they understand that they're kind of on the wrong side of that equation and and we're going to spend time in future podcasts talking about fiduciary standard talking about compensation um this concludes our first uh, ever podcast so we appreciate your time and interest and uh, we hope you can join us on our next one
0: Gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to
2: the sky. Ask the masses for silence.
0: Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Walkner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment related. Nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services LLC, Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC, and WC Insurance Services LLC. Are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wagner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.